Let's take our Bibles and turn to Jude, book of Jude this evening. We're in the book of Jude as we continue this study at a a longer look at the little letters, these four little New Testament epistles that have uh, just one chapter and just a handful of verses. Some people call them, instead of letters, postcards. And I don't know if we even know what postcards are anymore, if anybody uses those, but uh, Uh, Again, just the idea of these short little brief letters. And my goal in this is to um, uh, to just spend several messages in each, maybe two or three, four messages in each of those little epistles, and uh, let the Lord speak to our hearts as we go through them. And so we've gone through uh, Philemon, and and then we've gone through uh, 2nd and 3rd John, and this evening we're going to hit the book of Jude. Uh, Let's look at the first four verses of this book. It says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ." Of course, we know the author of this is Jude, as he recognizes himself, and there's various thoughts on who, which Jude this is, but most would agree that this is uh, the brother, the earthly brother of Jesus, although he recognizes himself as the servant of Jesus Christ. You'll remember during the life and ministry of Jesus that his family did not initially believe on him did not recognize him as the Messiah. And uh, can you imagine being a brother to Jesus? Uh, You know, you ever had that perfect sibling that never got, I mean, this is truly what it would be like living with Jesus. And and perhaps there was uh, contention and frustration at times. And, and, but that we do know that these brothers and these siblings of Jesus, they, they, they did come along and they saw the resurrected Christ and they believed. And, uh, and so we believe this is probably the earthly brother of Jesus Christ, uh, but he recognizes himself as the servant. And so we know who the author is, and it's an anonymous congregation. Uh, we're not sure which church it was written to, perhaps the same believers that Peter wrote to in his letters, uh, because it seems that he's going to quote Peter. He's going to reference Peter, although not by name, he references the apostles of Jesus Christ or the disciples of Jesus Christ that had warned them of apostasy, that this apostasy was going to come, a falling away. And Jude basically says, what Peter warned you about, I'm writing you, it's here. He's writing to those same believers, you're going to experience this apostasy in and around you. And so he writes to him, and he says, Beloved, verse 3, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. It was his intent. He was desiring to write to them about the common salvation. 
what they had in common with one another was their salvation. And it seems that it was the intent of Jude initially. I want to write to you and just rejoice that you and I have this salvation in common. Uh, And that's a great thing for us to rejoice in, isn't it? Um, Except for Jesus Christ, there's very little reason that any of you and I would have ever crossed paths. Uh, It's because Jesus, I mean, this room full of people this evening, a couple hundred of us, whatever there is in here, this is because of Jesus Christ. And, And we should rejoice in that. Um, I've been to, I've had the privilege to go to a few foreign countries and visit some mission works, and and I have a different skin color, I have a different culture, I have a different background, I have a different everything, but I had Jesus Christ in common with people in Cape Verde and people in Haiti, uh, people in Mexico, people wherever it may have been, there was a commonality that we had. We have this brother that's visiting with us this week in Graham, and we were discussing on Friday evening about some things, and it dawned on me with him sharing some things. Well, he's got to know so-and-so. And and I brought up this this name, and he goes, he's one of my best friends. And it was somebody that uh, uh, was dear friends of ours back in our first ministry in New Hampshire. In fact, one of his best friends was his mom was pregnant with him when Rachel was pregnant with our first child. And we just had this very close relationship. And again, how is that possible except for Jesus Christ? And that's what Jude seems to have wanted to write about. It was maybe a cheerful letter, a happy letter. Let's talk about what we have in common because of our salvation. But then notice what he says. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. He says, I wanted to write to you about this this common salvation, but there was something that was more needful, something that was more necessary, something that was more pressing than this. And he says that you would earnestly contend for the faith, for there are certain men crept in unawares. Here are these these seducers, these individuals that will come in and wreak havoc in the church and confuse and, and, and cause problems. He says, who were before ordained, of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. He says it was needful that, and he speaks about exhorting, which means to call near. Uh, to invite, to invoke, to beseech, which is another word for, for begging, to entreat them that they would earnestly contend. When you hear those words, it, it describes for us an individual or individuals that will strive and struggle, will hold on, will not quit. I spoke this morning about the necessity as a believer to surrender everything, submit everything to the Lord Jesus But in this context and in this fashion this evening, Jude is exhorting these brethren here to earnestly contend, to strive, to work, to exert effort not to quit on their faith. When I think of this earnestly contending, my mind would go to athletics, sports, and 
I remember years ago, I tried to find the video and I could not find it. But it was a video of a, of a, a we called it peewee football, little kid football. Where we grew up, it was called peewee football. And, and it was a little kid's practicing at a, at a practice. And so uh, they were probably 10 years old, somewhere in that ballpark, maybe a little younger, a little older, I don't know. But little kids. And, um, uh, and during this practice, there was one boy that was bigger than the majority of them, and he got the ball as a handoff, and he took off, and he burst through the line, and one little tyke, probably the smallest guy on the whole field, grabbed hold of one leg, and it was like this giant running down the field with this little, little boy attached to him, just bouncing behind him. And I remember the coaches were saying, don't quit, hold on. Don't let go. And that little boy did not let go. Was he just jumping down the field there, holding on? You know what he was doing? Earnestly contending. Not giving up. Holding on for everything he had. And that's what Jude is picturing for us, that we would earnestly contend. Why? Because verse 4, four speaks of those that have and will use stealth and deception and infiltrate churches with false doctrine. I've shared it with you before, but in our congregation, our little church in Columbus had a family that visited us one Sunday morning. And, and uh, first-time visitors, a husband, a wife, two little girls sat back. We had two sections sat back on this left section, came in a little late, uh, and so I didn't get to meet them before church. And, uh, but I did notice after church, they stayed and they stayed and they stayed, lots of people talking to them. And they stayed, though they were one of the last families to leave. And I thought, well, that's exciting. But the whole time there was something in my heart, what's going on here? And um, uh, I don't even know how the Lord worked it out exactly. One of my sons told one of his, they were lived in a neighborhood. And one of my sons went to school with a, a boy from that neighborhood in Columbus, and he happened to mention it to him, which probably never would normally happen, but he mentioned, he goes, oh, we had a family visit our church, they live in your neighborhood. And uh, that caused him to tell, that boy to tell his mom, who this mom used to be part of a cult. And a lot of them live in that neighborhood. And they're known to go to churches and infiltrate churches and draw people out. So she contacted her pastor, who contacted me and said, hey, did you have a family visit you on Sunday? And I thought, this is weird. You know, why is he calling me about a family visit? And I said, yeah. And he's like, and he, he goes through that whole thing. And he goes, I don't know if they're part of this group or not. Just letting you know. So he gave me a name of this group. And it was a, a, a group out of, actually out of Indianapolis, Indiana. And a small little group that had a leader. And so I researched it all week, and I said, I wonder if they'll come back next Sunday. And I was standing in the foyer waiting and waiting and waiting for them to see if they'd show up, and they're not showing up. So it's about 11 o'clock when we started our morning service. I'm getting to go in, and suddenly here they come. And so I said, hey, welcome back to Capital City today. That's the name of our church, Capital City Baptist. And I said, hey, you guys got one minute? They're like, sure. And I said, do you happen to know, and I named this guy's name, I can't remember it now, and you could tell right away they knew who I was talking about. Immediately their face got, they, got, they put their head down, and, and they wouldn't look at me. I said, let's step outside if you would. 
And I said, I want you to know this. I said, you are absolutely welcome here at Capital City Baptist Church if you're here to learn about Jesus, if you're here to learn God's word. But I said, if you are here at all to try to pull people away, to try to get people to, uh, 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 to come to Bible studies. At your, I said, you are not welcome here. And they said, oh, well, we're not here to do any of those things. And they came into church, and in the middle of the first song, they left church. And I got up that day, and I said, I explained to our church what I had learned that week. And I had four families come to me and say, they invited me to a Bible study at their house. They gave us all this, and they shared the information that they gave to us. Two of them were brand new families at our church, brand new believers. Causing, that's the apostasy that Jude was dealing with. And he's telling that church there, you've got to earnestly contend for the faith. And we had a meeting tonight before church um, about recognizing guests and visitors in our church to welcome them in. I am not trying to contradict that tonight that we're eyeballing everybody that's new at our church tonight and say, oh, I wonder what they're up to. The Lord will reveal that. And so we want to welcome everyone to our church, especially those that are searching and looking for truth and want to learn the truth, but know that we live in a day and an age where apostasy is going to continue to abound. 2 Timothy describes, or excuse me, uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians describes uh, uh, before the, the Antichrist is revealed, there's going to be a great falling away. 2 Timothy describes for us in chapter number 3 in those last days that evil men and seducers, deceivers, shall wax worse and worse. The closer we get to the Lord's return, which every day is a day closer, more and more of this is going to take place. And so Paul tell, or excuse me, Jude tells this congregation that we need to, they need to earnestly contend for the faith. So Jude changes his, his topic. I wanted to write to you about the common salvation, but there's something more needful. And if it was needful in Jude's day, I'd say it's more needful today. We've got to be reminded of this. And so that's what I'd like to talk to you for just a few moments this evening. It is still needful today. Now, it's not just people we must be alert of. It's the philosophies we've got to be careful with that are creeping into our churches, creeping into our homes. These worldly philosophies. They often sound good and look good and, 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 and perhaps we never look beyond just the surface and, we, and we, 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 we embrace these things. And I want to encourage you this evening to be careful. The other day Rachel and I were driving and we were listening to a podcast of a, a man that I like to listen to and he, he's an apologist and he goes to college campuses and he, and he gives... Uh, uh, defense of his faith and shares the gospel with many people that believe in evolution or don't believe in God, these various things, and, and he shares Christ with them. And, and I like listening to him, and we were listening to one of his, uh, his podcasts, and he quoted someone else, and he made mention of what this person had written about, of how our world, and he included in that our education system, 
our media, our social media, things that hit our young people, how they have been trending in this day. And he summarized our world with these four tenets. Again, this is what the world, the direction the world's going. This is not scriptural, not biblical, but this is the way that the world's going. See if you agree with me or not. Number one, feelings are the ultimate guide. Think about that in our world today. Feelings are the ultimate guide. What directs us, what guides us. That's a dangerous place to go. Let me tell you why. The heart of our feelings, the heart of our emotions, uh, the center of our emotions is our hearts. And Jeremiah warns us that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Don't trust your heart. Don't lean on your heart. Don't be guided by your feelings. But that's the direction of our world today. Number two, happiness is the ultimate goal. That's what our world would say. That's what our world wants. And many believers probably want that. But what should be the believer's ultimate goal? Let me tell you what it should be. It should be God's glory. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Revelation chapter 4 verse 11 teaches us that that's the purpose why we were created. That we would bring glory to God. But the world would tell you to be happy. Number three, tenet, that judging is the ultimate sin. Yeah, you see that a lot. Now here's the thing. You don't even have to judge for the world to call you or accuse you of judging. If I believe differently than I've judged them. If I say I just believe the Bible, then I've judged them according to most of them. They look at me and they say, oh, uh, you don't believe the way I do? Well, you're judging me. Today, I didn't go back as we were looking at the book of Romans. I just described for you those first 11 chapters as this great doctrinal uh, uh, exposition by Paul and, and how it starts off in those first three chapters describing and, and depicting man as we are as sinners. I'd encourage you to go back and read Romans chapter 1 where Paul names the sins. Oh, he nails homosexuality, he he nails fornication, he nails deception. Oh, there's a list of these sins that Paul, and if I were just to read the Bible, if I were to preach Romans chapter 1, for much of the world, he's judging. He's judging us. And so to take a stand, to be biblical, to preach God's word, for many is judging. So not only is it judging is the ultimate sin and happiness is the ultimate goal and, and, and feelings are the ultimate guide, God to the world is the ultimate guess. More and more people will say they're either atheist or agnostic. An atheist that outright denies there's a God or an agnostic that says at best it's a guess. At best I don't know. Now I'd be honest with you, One of my uh, uh, favorite things to do is to get with a sincere agnostic. Someone that says, I just don't know. And and to say to them, will you let me show you? Would you let me try to prove that? And if you can get an honest agnostic, it can be a very enjoyable experience because if their heart's open, it's easy to prove there is a God. 
But that's the world we're dealing with. Those are many of the philosophies that we're dealing with. And we see it in these areas, especially in our education system. This is not just pumping a, a commercial for Heritage Christian School or other Christian schools. If you have children in a public school or in a public college or university, you better be aware of what's being taught in those institutions. What is being passed for education is most times just indoctrination. In church, you must hold them accountable. You better know what's being taught. You better find out what's being taught. And you better make sure that, uh, 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 that, that you're holding that school, those teachers, that board accountable for what is being, coming through those schools. I encourage you here a couple of Sundays ago to get involved, be a part of it. You pray for our dear brother, uh, Mario Beckles. He's trying to get his name on the ballot for the school. What high school, what, what school district? The Potomac District. You pray. Wouldn't it be good to have a believer like Mario on that school district? Wouldn't it be good to have him in there uh, voicing uh, uh, biblical and, and, and traditional and conservative uh, uh, mandates? And, and, and so you pray for our brother and, and others get involved. This is the world we lived in. We live in. And Jude said it was needful in his day. It's more needful today. Now, if we were to look at the entirety of this book, we could outline it as, number one, apostasy discovered in verses 1 through 4. He then depicts it or displays apostasy in verses 5 through 16. There's various illustrations of it. But this evening, let me just spend a few minutes on how apostasy can be defeated and how apostasy can be overcome. Uh, go to the end of this book with me, if you will, and starting in verse number 17. How do we overcome apostasy? How do we defeat apostasy? Number one, you need to ready yourselves. Prepare yourselves. Look at verse 17 through 21. He says, But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. Again, this is where I believe he's quoting Peter and the other apostles about these, these apostates that would come. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Prepare yourself, church, because whether you encounter a person or a philosophy, you're going to have to deal with this apostate age. You're going to have to deal with these situations. You're going to run into people and, and friends and individuals that are, that are departing from the faith. And the best way to ready yourself and to ready your family is something you've probably heard all your life. Read your Bible and pray every day. Study the Word of God. Get into the truth. Get into the real thing here. Learn this. And when you come across something that is false, it won't resonate with you as the Holy Spirit guides you. 
as the Holy Spirit confronts you, you'll learn that these things are false. And so you must prepare yourself. There's nothing more important for you than to be in God's Word each and every day. We provide reading schedules for you. We encourage you. In fact, we put out even some more schedules. If the schedule we have is not your preference, there's more over here on this table of various ways you can read through your Bible every day. Listen, that's not just to check something off on your, on your notch of your gun belt there. I did this again. This is important for us. Every one of us, are. we could fall for these things, but if you're in God's Word and you're praying you're readying yourself, you're preparing yourselves. We live in 2023, which is different than 1983 and different than 2003. And as we continue on, it's going to continue to worsen. And so we must ready ourselves. Number two, not only do we need to ready ourselves, if we're going to overcome apostasy, you need to reach someone. You need to reach someone. Look at verse 22 and 23. And of some having compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. What a great way to overcome apostasy than by simply reaching a person with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Seeing them born again, seeing them baptized, seeing them discipled and grounded in the word of God. What a wonderful way to overcome apostasy by giving them the truth from the beginning. Don't let them get influenced by some false teacher or anyone else. Again, I mentioned just a moment ago uh, of being able to deal with an agnostic, an honest agnostic. I shared a testimony last week with one of the church planners that we supported, a man named Addison Smith. I've never even met him other than uh, him on a platform. But he's the one in this church plan in Oregon that um, had a man visit their church by invitation, an agnostic. And this guy came up to him after one of the first services and he says, wait a minute, we're singing a song tonight about being washed by blood of a lamb? Now think about it. For a guy coming to church for the first time and not used to the Bible or Bible stories, that would sound a little bit odd, wouldn't it? And Brother Smith said, hold on now. Give it some time. Hang in there. He's like, all right. I'm telling you, that's a little weird. That's what the guy told him. Several weeks later, that same guy came down the, uh, the altar or the, down the aisle during the invitation one night and said, I'm ready to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. He learned some things. He grew some things. It developed in his heart and his mind, and he recognized what that was all about. And he received Christ as his Savior. I've shared about my great privilege there in Columbus. Last folks I was able to lead to the Lord, he showed up on a Wednesday night because of the invite of a friend. Had one of those tattoo sleeves down every arm. He had more hooks and stuff in his ears and noses than you could imagine. And he was living the life of this world. And he showed up at church and, and, I, and, and I asked him after the service of what brought him here. He says, my friend invited me. And he says, he goes, honestly, I, I, he goes, I count myself as an agnostic. I don't know if there is a God. I said, are you open to learning about that or to see if there's a possibility? He goes, I sure am. 
I said, just keep coming. And it wasn't long that he's bringing a Bible with them. It wasn't long that he was participating in studies and asking questions. And it wasn't long that he walked down the aisle and he says, I'm ready to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. That keeps him from falling into apostasy from a departing, a walking away, a rejecting of the faith. And so lead people to the Lord. Reach someone. Ready yourselves. And number three, remember this. Some of the greatest verses in this, in this little letter, those verse 24 and 25. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. Remember the faithfulness of the Lord. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless before the presence. We live in a world that is cursed by sin, There are going to be difficult times. There are going to be hard times. There are going to be uh, uh, battles that we will face. Jesus told his disciples right before his crucifixion that in this world ye shall have tribulation. Difficulties are a part of this life. Whether they're induced by ourselves or through others, they will come. But remember this, God will never fail you. God is faithful. I've been saved now for 46 years. I've been in the ministry for 28 years. I can tell you this, God's never failed me. God's never let me down. And I can say this with great confidence. He won't because he can't. It's not in his his attributes, his qualities. He cannot let me down. He can only be faithful And so remember the faithfulness of God. Trust him. So in these days of apostasy and of people turning away and of uh, uh, all these things, let's continue to earnestly contend for the faith. Let's do that by readying ourselves, reaching someone with the gospel, and remembering the faithfulness of our Lord. You bow your heads and close your eyes this evening. We're going to have a moment of invitation and also prepare ourselves to transition into the Lord's Supper this evening. And so we're going to have a time for you to pray and whether there at your pew or come to this altar, whether convicted by something in the message this evening or just the Lord working in your heart tonight, been working in your heart This is a time for you to get, uh, do this business with the Lord. I'm going to pray and let the piano play for just a verse or two, and then we'll prepare ourselves to receive the Lord's Supper this evening. Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for the Word of God. We thank you for this little letter uh, that prepares us for these last days. And Father, I pray tonight, God, that you would work in our hearts and our lives Help us, Lord, to ready ourselves. Help us to reach someone. Help us to remember the faithfulness of our Lord. Father, I pray now as we have this invitation that you'd help us to be obedient to you, whether that's a trip to the altar or just bowing our hearts there at our seats. God, help us to be obedient. 
in Jesus' name. As the piano plays, would you remain with your heads bowed and eyes closed and use this time to deal with the Lord.